Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? You guys just look so great today. Just look around. Just look around. You look good. You should come up here and look. Of course, if you all came up here, you have no one to look at, but you look good. Uh, I'm Rob Kosberg, and uh, of course, Marty and Reese uh, are, uh, are away at a, at a meeting this weekend. And, uh, you know, I feel really honored to have an opportunity to share some things from God's Word with you guys today. Uh, I was given it the topic. In Central Cities, we've been doing what? Going through the life of David, right? That's been fantastic. And, uh, you know, as you go through the life of David, you know, eventually you're going to come to a couple of stories, right? One of the stories, you know, the big, famous, successful story of David when he defeats Goliath. You guys are... Not just good looking, you're smart. It's awesome. And eventually, after you come through that story, you know you're going to get to another story about David, right? Much more depressing. Challenging. And that's David and Bathsheba. And that's what I get to talk about today. <laughs> All right, before we get into all that, um, I, uh, I want to introduce someone really, really special to you guys, uh, to me, excuse me, to you guys, and uh, that's my, my business partner is here. He's actually in town because we had a conference that uh, has been going on the last few days. He's actually supposed to be listening to Joe Theismann speak right now, so am I, but we decided to come here instead, and uh, that's uh, one of my best friends in the world, Mark Feinberg. Mark, stand on up. There he is. That's Mark. If you get a chance, say hi to him. As Reese would say, be nice to him. Um, he has a Miami Heat shirt on. I know. I know. It's like he was, you know, purposely trying to test you today. Especially how the Lakers are doing. Of course, at the same time, the Heat, they're doing lousy too. So perhaps we will commiserate together while we watch the Indianapolis Pacers play the, uh, I don't know, who will they play? Let's not say that. Let's do not speak of it. Um, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's where the story begins. And uh, since we're talking about David and Bathsheba, that should be in the title, right? So the title of the lesson today is actually Behind the Scenes of David and Bathsheba. We all know the story, right? We're going to read it anyway. I'm not going to read it from the Message Bible to try to put a new spin on it. We know the story. We know how it goes. We know how it starts. We know what happens. We know, hey, the kings are supposed to go off the war. We know it. We know it. But there's a lot behind the scenes. You know, as I was studying, and maybe you can tell I wasn't, you know, like super fired up. Here's my opportunity to speak, and I'm going to speak on this and Mary Kay, you know, when we talked about Mary Kay this morning, goes, now, you know, is there anything you're going to tell the congregation that we should know beforehand? I go, no, 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 there's nothing. Uh, we know we know the story, but there's a lot behind the scenes of David and Bathsheba. And uh, and honestly, I learned some things that I hadn't known and was challenged with some things in my own heart, regarding 
what led to this and also God's response to it. So what I'd like to do is let's read all of 2 Samuel chapter 11 together and then we'll kind of go back through it. Is that okay? 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. Making a little small talk. Then David said, Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to the house. When David was told Uriah didn't go home, he asked him, haven't you come from a long distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day. Tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. David sent, excuse me, Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you finish giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why'd you get so close to the city? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerobesheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Well, also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out. When he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us, came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city. The archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, say this to Job. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Pretty prophetic. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Job. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Gosh, it's just hard even reading it, isn't it? Uh, 
we're a lot more like David than we want to believe. I think that, I really do. I don't think that because, you know, maybe we have the propensity or the ability or even the authority to murder somebody and get away with it. I don't think that. I think because of what happens within our hearts, that happened within David's heart. Just given that David was a man with the kind of authority that you and I, quite frankly, do not have. And we get to do something really amazing with the Bible. Like we get to look at it with 2020 hindsight. You know what I mean? And we get to, to read this story and quite honestly pick it apart, right? Which is kind of what I'm supposed to do up here, right? Oh, here's where he blew it and here's where he made a mistake and... We get to see all the mistakes. We get to see all the ugliness. I mean, God's word is awesome for that reason, among many others. But it's awesome for that reason. But 2020 hindsight always works. What doesn't is, you know, the blind spots in our life today. Like, like the major one in David's life at this time. And the one that went on for a very long time, at least over a year. Last I checked, that's about how long it takes to give birth. You know, living in, uh, in South Florida, you see funny things. There's a lot of elderly drivers on the road, right? Lots of elderly drivers. No one need take offense at what I'm saying. Because no one in this room is like the elderly drivers in Palm Beach, Florida. And honestly, on any given day, and ask my, ask my family, ask my wife, my kids, ask Mark, on any given day, you can see an old man or an old woman, or at least the top of their head, driving down the wrong side of the road and honking and cursing at you because you're coming at them. I am not joking. Is that true or not? Has that not happened many times? Somehow those people never get in an accident, though, and that's the cool thing. I don't know how. We always talk about, hey, if you're over 80 in Florida, you own the road. That's just the way it is. So when I'm that old, I'm moving to Florida. I'm moving back. Maybe. I really like it here. I might just own this road. Okay, so let, let's have a little uh, audience participation. Can we do that? I mean, the lead ministers aren't here when the mice are away, you know. No, actually a cat, I guess. When the cat's away, the mice will play. So what's the first problem in the story with David? Let's pick him apart. What happened? Just say it. He wasn't in the battle. He was idle. At the time when kings do what? When, the, when they go to war, what was David doing? He was home. How could he be home? Right? Can, can you sometimes get a little indignant over that? I mean, really, do you get a little like, come on, David. All the other kings are out going to war. And you're home. You're chilling. 
I mean, I've thought that at different times. I've preached that. I've talked about that. Have you ever been to war? I haven't. It looks gruesome to me. It looks terrible. It looks awful. Maybe we have some some soldiers in this audience that have been in battle. I bet it's it's ungodly. You know, I, I read this. Let's, let's think about David's life for a minute. You know, I mean, it all sounds glorious now. You know, we're thousands of years removed. We name our children David, right? We don't name our kids Saul, right? We don't. We name our kids David. I'm sorry if there's some Sauls. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, I just lost like four people because that's probably all the Sauls there are. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm from a Jewish background, so, you know, there are some Sauls in the, in the Jewish faith. Okay, let's, let's rewind that. Whoop. I didn't say any of that. We name our kids David, right? Lots of us do, right? David, it's a great name. He's a hero. He was king of Israel. He was the man after God's own heart. Who else did God say that about? But... What a life the guy had. You know, he got anointed a king as, as king by Samuel at about age 15, right? That's pretty cool. Teenager, 15 years old, anointed king. All he was doing was, at that time, that was pleasing to God, was he was hanging with the sheep, he was singing songs, he was praying to God, he was loving God, and God said, man, that, I love that guy. That kid's like, he's like a man after my own heart. But, you know, I mean, like he was never really in the real world yet at that point. So God was about to take him on a little boot camp. 15-year boot camp. So, you know, he's about 18, 19 or so, maybe a little younger. Faces Goliath, defeats Goliath. Gets called into Saul's household. How does that go? Not real good, right? The king now wants to kill him. He's threatened by him, jealous of him. So now David, barely more than a teenager, maybe still a teenager, is on the run for his life for the next ten years. The next decade of David's life, he's living in caves and rocks and holes in the ground. At first, he's totally by himself, right? But then he gets company. Who? The malcontent the in debt, the distressed. And when you read about these guys, they become David's mighty men. But the reality is, these are the worst bad attitude people in the kingdom. They couldn't make it. They go, hey, there's a rock. There's a hole in the ground. Let's go there. Oh, David's there. Okay, let's all live in the hole in the ground together. <laughs> and it doesn't end with just a few of them. There's 600 of these guys. Wow. You go, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Sure it is. Is that the good life? This is what it means to be king? Guys, I mean, think about that. So David becomes king, right? By the way, David is probably in his late 40s, maybe about 50 when this happens, right? So he's a little older than me. (laughs) Younger than the senior citizens in Palm Beach County. 
By the way, I'm not sure how many points I have in all of this. I just hope it's not pointless. So we're just going to talk, and then we'll move on to the next page. And they never told me how much time I have, which I assumed was just a lot. Uh, where was I? What was I talking about? David. Okay, thanks. Really helpful. So, I mean, no, think about his life. So when David finally does become king after he's running for his life, and he does not have it easy, guys. I mean, it, it's, you know, really, he went through God's boot camp. He was humbled. His character was refined. He was challenged. This was a very difficult path that God put him on. He becomes king. What does he do? He goes to war. I mean, we didn't read the previous couple of chapters, but in the previous couple chapters, he's in battle after battle after battle after battle, war after war after war after war. And God has given him great victory, and praise God for that. But it's war, right? It's war. It's still death and blood and and difficult. It's far more difficult than any life we've ever lived. I mean, we got it so good. Thank God we were not anointed king. So the guy wants to take one break and not go off that spring? You think about it. Oh, I've been down on him before. And I'm not saying that anything he did was right. Holy cow, just read it. Horrific. But he, he wants to take a break? You ever feel that way? You might be on break right now. I've been on break. I've been on years of break. You know? I talk about this with, with my, my business partner. I go, man, I'm 47 years old. I still got to be worried about these things. I still got to battle with this. You know? I got I to gotta fight to make money. Got to battle with it, right? I know, you know, many people are out of work. And after you get to a certain age, you know, and you see other people, you go, man, wait, no, why am I still fighting with this? Do you get to take a break from being a dad? Do you? It ain't easy being a dad. Do, do you get to take a break from being a wife? Oh, man, that's hard. That just looks hard to me. I mean, that just looked like, wow, I wouldn't want that job. That's a hard job. Got to deal with that fool? Oh, my gosh. And those kids? Wow. When, when do you get a break? You ever want a break? I mean, like when it's time to go to war with the kids, you ever go, I ain't going today. Think about that. I mean, we, we have to battle with the same things over and over again, don't we? I mean, every day, alarm clock goes off, got to get back in the battle. Caring about your brothers and sisters in your small group or in this church, it's a battle. Caring about people's spiritual well-being, it's a battle. What the full-time ministry people do and, and having on their hearts and consciences and minds the the spiritual wellness of us hey i was there it's a, it's a hard job it's a battle david wanted a break loving the lost sharing your faith right do i really have I mean, you know come on you know if i don't share with this person i mean someone else will right can I just, don't you feel that way? And maybe for a lot of us, maybe the bottom line is we're just a whole lot more like David than we want to we be honest about because, you know, 
it's been spring a long time in our house. I mean, let's just be honest. When I read that, that's what I thought. When I really dug deep and I thought about this guy's life, I mean, at the sp- <laughs> I mean, you know, even the way the writer wrote it, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. It's like, come, you know, give the guy a break. I mean, that's the way I think sometimes because I think, you know, I want a break, right? What happens when you take a break? Wow. You know, sometimes I literally have to say to myself, man up, Rob. I say that physically out loud. I try to do it when other people aren't around. Honestly, you know, they'll get weirded out by that, especially my wife and my kids. But I'm like, man up. Man up, Rob. This is ridiculous. Worrying about this again? Being lazy about This is ridiculous. You need a man up. You need a man up, Rob. I say that to myself. It helps. It does. It flat helps. Honest to God, it helps. It does, because I'm like, yeah, I'll man up. I'm no wuss. I'm going to man up. I am not, I am not going to take a break. I can't take a break from being a dad. I can't take a break from being a husband. I can't take a break from being faithful to my wife. I can't take a break from being faithful to my God. I can't. I can't do this. Neither can you. David did, and it was a crushing blow to his life. And thank God we get to read it. But I want us to understand we are a lot more like him because we want a break too. And you may be on one or you just may want one. And I'm saying, hey, man up if you're a man. Woman up. What do the women say? Go, girl. I, uh, I shared this with some of the, the Bible talk leaders uh, a while ago, uh, talking about uh, David's, um, David's life and something I really learned from it that really has like revolutionized my walk with God. And I don't have time to talk about all that in particular, but um, one Sunday after church, Cole, my youngest, 11-year-old, you know, he likes to use my, my iPad. And, you know, he'll use my iPad. I'll take, you know, the Bible and we'll, we'll change, we'll exchange. I don't remember all what was going on that day. We were in a really big hurry. I can't even remember anymore. You know, like, what did I have for breakfast? I don't know. I always know because it's always the exact same thing. So that, that's not true. But anyway, um, so Cole had my iPad, and him and Connie had to go to the grocery store. And so we actually left separately, and he left my iPad um, in the produce department, like on the vegetables, in the in the. Right here, right? Like right at this rouse. And um, I, was, I was furious. Now, I wasn't screaming and yelling, but inside I was just, I was furious with him. Maybe angrier with him than I have ever been. And um, Connie said, you know, let's call the store. We called the store. Sorry, we don't have it. Of course they don't have it. It's my iPad. Someone took my iPad. You know, the world's full of evil people. This is what I'm thinking. It's going on in my mind. And she goes, well, I think you guys need to go and, you know, go to Ralph's. And, you know, we had driven all the way back home, and now we're going to drive all the way back here. And we had leaders meeting, I think, that day we had a leaders meeting. 
And, um, you know, so the schedule's busy and all that. And, and she's like, you and Cole should go. And I'm like, gosh, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I didn't want to be in the car with him. Uh, my heart was really wicked. And uh, my car was almost out of gas on top of everything else. So I said, you know, let, we got to stop at the, you know, he is just petrified. You know, he's 11 years old. He loves me, he adores me. And, and, he, and I'm not screaming at him, but he knows how angry I am. He can just tell. And uh, so he's scared and, you know, how you would be if you were 11 years old, right? Not of me, I just mean in general. <laughs> Who am I, right? Uh, and um, we stop for gas and I get out of the car and I'm putting gas in. And I, you know, I'm thinking, thank God I needed gas because I needed to just pray. And, and I prayed, you know, God, what do you, what do you want me to do right now? Um, I, I, you know, I, I knew what I needed to do, but I, I just said, God, what do you want me to do? And at, at that, like, at, at that instant, um, I, you know, I flash back to a time when I was six, seven years old, and uh, my dad and I are really close now, but we weren't then. Uh, my dad was really young. He and my mom were teenagers when when I was born, and I was raised by my dad's parents, my grandparents, and they were awesome, uh, incredible. Uh, you know, loving people to me. But uh, I would visit, like, go to my dad's house. He lived 30, 45 minutes away. And so I would go visit him once every few months. And I'm over at his house. And all this is, like, flashing before my eyes while I'm pumping gas. And um, I would go over his house and, you know, it would be my time with my dad. You know, once every, I don't know, God knows how long, months. And he made me these milk and cookies, uh, poured me a big old glass of milk, and I had knocked the milk over and spilled this full glass of milk on his carpet. My dad had a temper problem, like me, obviously. And he put me in the car and drove me the 30 to 45 minutes back home. That was I wasn't there for, I don't know, it seemed like I was there 15 minutes. Drove me back home, and that's like one of my first childhood memories of my dad. And... I mean, that, that stayed with me a long, 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 long time. And that flashed before my eyes as I was pumping gas. And I said, you know, man, I am not going to be that. I'm not going to be that guy. You know, I'm a Christian. My dad wasn't. I have the Holy Spirit. And I changed instantly. Instantly. And, and thank God. I mean, it, it worked out unbelievably. I mean, really, it was, it was like, it was an amazing God's story. I mean, we got the iPad back. The way we got it back was a lesson in perseverance. It was just, it was an amazing story. Really, amazing story. And I wasn't that guy. But, you know, I could have taken a break. You know, I could have said, I'm really tired of this. You know, um, my dad took a break that day. And, and he was on a long break. He wasn't a Christian. I don't blame him for it. It, it made me who I am, and I, and I thank God that God protected me. A lot of your parents took breaks. That's not who you're supposed to be. But you're a Christian. You love Him. Now, I, am, I am so far from the perfect dad. You know, I blow it so much and have and continue to. But I'm not going to take a break. I'm not going to take a break from the Lord, and I'm not going to take a break from my, my family. And God doesn't want... You to do that either, because this is what results when you take a break. 
Let's talk for a minute about um, about God's heart and response, because I think we only got 15 minutes or so left, and that was just like the first like paragraph that I wrote. So, uh, <laughs> try to figure out what of all this I need to share with you guys. What do you think, God? Okay. Uh, can can like something that wicked happen to you like in one moment? I, I think it could. Okay? I, I think it could. But I don't think it's super likely. Uh, really. You know, like you read the story. I mean, it, uh, it says one evening David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof, couldn't find anything on TV, walked around. He's on the roof. He sees a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful, of course. All women that bathe on the roof are beautiful. <laughs> Makes sense to me. David thought, I'm going to send someone to find out about her. Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Elam, wife of Uriah the Hittite? She's taken. I don't care. I mean, could that happen? Uh, you know, uh, could I, you know, uh, not have a good quiet time one morning? And, you know, I'm walking around and I look out the window and my neighbor is bathing. And I go, wow, who is that? Could, I mean, could that you know, I guess for us, whatever that crazy scenario is, it's possible. The reality is that kind of thing doesn't happen overnight. It does not happen overnight. It happens because of what's going on inside for a long, 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 long time. Right? It just doesn't. Now, I, I know in a group this size, man, we're all in different places. And, and we read this and maybe, maybe someone is in adultery in this room. I, I don't know. Or maybe somebody is in you know, the years before that were to happen, like David was. I don't know. And this isn't just about adultery. It's about everything. Because we fall to all kinds of sins. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, you don't have to turn there. It says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Okay. So it could happen if you, if you think you're doing great, right? And, well, be careful, though, because Satan is going to be right there. I get that. But the reality is when I study this, and this is one thing I learned that I did not know, is that the seeds of this had been planted and had been growing for over 20 years in David's life. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, and I, I don't think you have time to turn there, but you can go back and read it, verse 16 Moses basically gives kind of the layout of, hey, you know, when you get to the promised land and you're going to want a king and all that, God knew all that was going to happen. He said, here's three things that the king needs to make sure he doesn't blow it in. Okay, three things. He says, number one, the king should not bring to himself an excessive amount of horses. Or, okay. Why? Well, I mean, horses were a sign of power. It's, it's about, you know, military power, strength. That was kind of the idea. It said that the king should not bring to himself an excessive amount of gold and silver. Makes sense. Money, materialism, don't want to rely on that instead of relying on God. And the third thing it said the king should not bring to himself, well, what would you think? I mean, we got money, we got power, we got sex, right? So he shouldn't take to himself excessive wives, etc. Now, excessive, I don't know. One seems like enough. Because 
I can't handle that. So, two? Wow. Excessive to me. And that ain't happening. <laughs> there would be murder, but I wouldn't be killing anybody, let me tell you. She'd be killing me. You know, the, the cool story about David, he was incredibly diligent on, the, on, on two of the three. Uh, and we can, we can look at that really quick together. Uh, it says in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8, we'll read a little bit here. Verse 3, it says, Moreover, David fought Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. When he went to restore his control along the Euphrates River, David captured a 1,000 of his chariots, 7,000 charioteers, 20,000 foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a 100 of the chariot horses. Now, I love horses, and I know Peter would hate this, but you get the idea. I mean, he, he, ham, he, killed the, he said, I'm not going to bring the, this power to me. And that, that was, his, that was his, his, what he did. I mean, that was his M.O., uh, furthermore, if you, if you go on and read in, in verse uh, 7, it says, David took gold shields that belonged to the officers of Adadezer, brought them to Jerusalem. David, King David took a great quantity of bronze. It goes on and says in verse 11, King David dedicated these articles to the Lord as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he subdued. I mean, this guy was like incredibly diligent over all of his military campaigns. He made sure to be completely obedient Two, I'm not going to make myself excessively powerful with horses personally. I'm not going to make myself excessively rich with gold and silver. But from the very beginning of, of David's reign, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, and then later in verse 10, that David took to himself many wives and many concubines. From the very beginning, 20 years earlier of his reign. 20 years. So God said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. Why? Well, for your sake. But don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. All right, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. But, well, you know, women, they are awesome. I love women. want to spread the wealth around. David blew it. He blew it big time. But it wasn't an overnight thing. It didn't happen just... He's doing great, and he slipped. No, the seeds were planted from long, long ago, and they continued to grow and germinate in his heart. You guys know the story of bamboo, right? You know, you, you plant bamboo shoots. For, t- for 19 of 20 years, you water, you fertilize, you take care of them. They don't grow at all. In the 20th year, they grow 50 feet. Now, were they growing just that time, or were they growing the entire 19 years prior to that? Sure they were. Both. Yes and no. They, were growing, they grew 50 feet at that moment, and they also grew all along the path. The same is true for David. These are, you know, those three things that the, the kings had to be aware of, you know, those are, those are my three things, Right? They're your three things, aren't they? I mean, we, we took communion and we talked about contribution. Materialism was mentioned. I mean, we live in an incredibly materialistic society. And, and yet at the same time, we have to fight. God says, hey, every day, right? We should be praying for what? This daily bread. I'm like, God, can't I have two days worth? 
I mean, I got to pray every day, daily. I mean, let me just store up a little. In a group this size, there's lots going on. Lots going on in all of our hearts. Whether or not we're in year 15 of the bamboo or year 20, we need to be careful. Commitment to job over God. Power, sometimes we keep people at length, at arm's length. I did this. I felt hurt. I saw my wife get hurt because of people in our lives. You know, no one can hurt you like the church, right? I mean, come on. You guys hurt each other all the time. No one digs it in deep like the church does. It's true. If you're a leader, even more that way. I mean, it's just because we love each other so deeply, and then when we fail or or hurt each other, it's just it hurts that much more. It's like a like a father and sons. I mean, Nico and Jacob right there. No one hurts them more than me because they love me so much, and I know that. I just hope that you know they'll grow up to understand that you know I'm awesome. <laughs> oh boy. You know, when you think of power, you don't need to think of like, I'm the man. Power is like, I don't want to have, I don't want anybody to have control over me. I don't want to let you too close to me to, to have like, like control. And so you keep people at arm's length. You don't want to let them in because you're afraid. You're afraid to give up that power. What if they see something? What if they think something? And in one sense, they don't have any power. No one has any power over you except what you give them. But by the same token, you know, we're responsible to each other. And so when we share and challenge each other, there's some power that we are volunteering to one another. Do you guys get what I'm saying there? Is that making sense? I don't know if I'm communicating clearly. And so in the church, because we hurt each other, we might not want to give that power to somebody. You know, that's a mistake. You're, You're... you're being like the king, and, and you may be in store for a big fall. And where will the big fall come? I don't know. You know, there will be a straw that breaks the camel's back, and you will say, enough of this, whether it's this church or this family group or these relationships, and you know what? I'm just going to be a Christian without religion. Religion just sucks. Yeah, I said that in church. You've you got to give people... You can't be afraid to give people power in your life. Don't take it all to yourself. And, you know, you can't read David and Bathsheba without thinking about lust and impurity and sex and adultery and flirting and the challenges that on jobs and in your private lives outside of this room, because you're all handsome, beautiful people and good people, Those seeds are there. And and Satan wants very, very badly for the right moment to come along. The opportune time. It came along with David, and it could come along with any one of us. Again, maybe not in this particular area, but in some area. Let me challenge you to do something. And then I'll I'll kind of close out. Um, Ask somebody. Remember the whole... You know, blind spot thing. Ask somebody. Give somebody some authority. Give them a little power. Ask them what they see. You know, what what do they think? Do they think you're maybe at arm's length from others? Maybe you're not completely honest 
Maybe you don't share. Maybe you're not transparent. Maybe, you know, you don't talk about anything that's going on in your process. Just ask. I mean, be bold enough to, like, look in the rearview mirror and adjust it so you can see, you know, wow, there's a car there. Good thing I didn't. Good thing I didn't change lanes. I did that once, by the way, and I drove a car all the way off the road. <laughs> wow, it was crazy. I was 16 years old, so I didn't know about the blind spot thing. That was interesting. Let's close out. Go back to Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, and uh, maybe this is the most important part of the of the whole day. Maybe the, uh, the greatest, one of the greatest understatements in the Bible is in verse 27. It says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You know, I want you to imagine what God must have felt like at that time. Uh, and, and if you're a dad or a mom, it may, it may help a little bit. But you and all of us have certainly had people in our lives that, like, were the golden child, and they, like, let us down in a massive way. My kids forget to take out the trash. That displeases me. Right? This, if I'm dad, does not displease me. This devastates me. So I want you to think about God's heart for a minute. And you know what? We need to read it. Um, this really, this radical, I studied this when I studied the Bible. This helped me become a Christian in a major way. And maybe if someone's studying the Bible and you don't quite, like, connect with God the way you need to, maybe this will help you to understand a little bit. Because God is a person, has emotion, loves, hates, feels deeply. I didn't understand all that. And of course, and I won't read it all for, for lack of time, but Nathan, you know, goes to David, shares the story. Wow, there's a whole lesson in that. Nathan must have been shaken in his boots. David, the man after God's own heart, repents. I mean, another amazing lesson in that. We didn't have time for it. Look at it yourself. I mean, you know, he didn't blame shift. He didn't try to cover it up more. He just said, man, I, I'm evil. I'm a sinner. And he repented like that. And this is what God says in verse 7. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. David was the golden child, you know? I mean, he could do no wrong. God loved him. God set him up as the leader, as the king. And, and he didn't just let him down in a small way. I mean, he committed adultery. He murdered one of his most faithful and, and loyal soldiers. Loyal to God. Loyal to him. He covered it up for a year. I see a progression, and, and, and it's really cool. In verse 27 of chapter 11, God is broken hearted. It's not just displeasure. 
You get that? It's, it's heartbreak when your kid, your golden son, lets you down like this. God confronts David. God confronts us. David repents. God forgives immediately. It says that, and you can read it, but verse 13, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan's next sentence, the Lord has taken away your sin. Like that. God forgives. But have you ever forgiven and not totally let it go? Like, I forgive. I do. I let it go, but I ain't loaning you money anymore. Right? That's the first thing I can think of. <laughs> I, you know, it's kind of like that. I, I forgive, but I'm not a fool. I'm not going to forget. You know, God forgets. God forgot. No, like really. Like re- Well, how do you know? This child dies. It says that David goes back with Bathsheba, lays with Bathsheba. She conceives and gives birth to another son. What was that son's name? You know. You know the story. Do you know what it says as soon as Solomon is born? What God thinks of Solomon? Someone tell me. He loves him. It says God looks at Solomon. God loves him. He even sends Nathan back and says, I want you to rename him. I want you to call him Jedediah. You know what Jedediah means? God loves me. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is the whole messed up relationship. I mean, it's the worst relationship you could have. You know, I mean, there's murder, there's adultery. It's made for Hollywood, for crying out loud. It's awful. It's hideous. And God looks at the spawn of that and goes, man, I love this kid. He had to totally forget, like, like he had to forget. I mean, you think about yourself. I put myself in his position. I tried to. And I tried to think about my kids and my family. And what if this happened? And could I let it go? Could I love that kid? Could you? I mean, think about that. You would like have to, you would have to really, and this could happen to me, like really forget. Who is that again? Boy, he's cool. I like him. You would like really have to forget. God forgot David's sin and this relationship. And furthermore, I mean, if you read Matthew chapter 1, we know that the line of the Messiah came through David and Bathsheba and Solomon. Like, really? Like, wasn't there a better wife to bring it through than her? And I'm not saying she's a bad person. I imagine we'll see her and we can talk to her. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, like, couldn't have God done it a, a different way? But he didn't. I think that's a lesson for us. I do. I think it's God saying, look, you know, no one screwed up like David. Maybe, maybe I didn't love anybody as much as I love David. He was the man after my own heart. And it hurt me so deeply. I put him on this pedestal. He brought it down as low as it could. And you know what? Just to show that I not only forgive, but I forget, I'm going to bring my son through that line. You know, if you read Matthew chapter 1, they don't even mention Bathsheba's name. 
I mean, Matthew couldn't even put her name down. It was David and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Yeah, we know her name. I mean, it's right there in Samuel. You could have written it. You, I mean, I think he knew. He knew Uriah the Hittite. He could have said Bathsheba. Less, uh, yeah, I mean, think about that. I mean, I read that and I go, you know, that's not an accident. It's not. It's not an accident. That's how much God forgives and forgets. So I, I guess, I mean, in closing, um, and, and we'll pray in just a second. I think it'd be good to end in prayer. But yeah, amen. <laughs> like, wow, I'm going to end in prayer. Um, I want you to think about, I want you to think about that progression in your life. And, and I'll think about it in mine. I want you to think about God's love for you. God setting you up in his kingdom as his glorious son, glorious daughter. The ways that he lets us down. The people that he brings into our life to confront us. Our response to that confrontation. Good, bad. And at the end of the day, when we repent, he forgives and he forgets. So, so should you. Now, if you blew it anywhere along the progression, you might want to go back and fix it. If you didn't repent, if you weren't confronted, whatever. But the end of the story... It's pretty awesome. Now, next week in Central Cities, we're going to talk about the repercussions of a sin. Hey, sin has consequences. But as far as God was concerned, the matter was dead. I pray that that can be the same for you and I. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for, um, for this example. Thank you that we have uh, a heavenly teaching that shows us how much you love how much you hurt, how much, Father, you must see, how much we fail you and, and we don't even realize it because of our own blind spots. God, I pray you would speak to us today in whatever specific manner each of us needs. pray you speak to me today. And I pray, Father, that through your word and your spirit in our heart, God, we could repent of the things we need to. We could change in the areas that displease you. And, Father, we can make a great difference in this world. We know, Father, that's what we've been called to do. So we love you, God. We love you for who you are. You are awesome. We ask all this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.